Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey there, thanks for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos, and welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. Tis the season where we joyfully anticipate the coming of Jesus in the manger, the beginning of the Holy Family. Speaking of families, how's yours doing? I mean that seriously, because I'm not even looking at the calendar right now, and I can tell you we have something going on every week leading up to the new year. And for the last several years, Christmas has always just seemed like like a finish line, not the start of a new season. And I'm sure many of you feel the same way. It's sometimes an effort to just even get through the holidays, let alone truly appreciate them and inspire my children. And I just hate that feeling of December 26th when all the packages are opened and the wrapping paper is cleaned up and we're bored. We're looking for the next exciting thing because the magic of Christmas is over. But in reality, the party continues for 12 more days from December 25th until January 5th, which, if I'm being totally honest, can just feel like one more thing to get through instead of truly enjoy. If at this point in the year your family, like mine, is absolutely wiped, maybe you're a little less patient with each other or you're feeling guilty for not making enough time to do the interior work of parenting, this episode is for you. Today I'm chatting with Melissa Molesky, our Director of Laity and Family for the Diocese of Harrisburg, about our role as parents in what we call the domestic church, especially during this new liturgical season. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here and talking about this, especially this weekend's the first weekend of Advent, which is very exciting. Thank you. I'm happy to be here and I'm excited as well. Yes. So tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do for the Diocese of Harrisburg. Okay. I am a wife, mother of four, uh, two teenagers, a budding teenager, and almost middle school. So have a have the gamut. Um, here at the diocese, uh, my title is Director for Lady and Family. And so I encompass a very broad range of services and ministries to support the people in our diocese. Um, the way I describe it is that... Um, our, our, my office is a twofold mission. One is to re-engage the lady with their baptismal rights and responsibilities. And then um, in regards to the family, I'm here to serve and support and promote the domestic church in any aspect that it touches upon in any way. So that's the long and the short of it. <laughs> I love that. And I think that's such a good description because I think, I think we just tend to 
kind of go through the motions like as we're being brought up in the church so that's really great that there there is an entire department dedicated <laughs> to reminding us like hey you also like as a catholic like these are our responsibilities and these are what we get to do yes and not just remind but support and encourage because yes. it's not i'm not someone else's parent i'm not your rule keeper i'm here to help you walk on the journey towards christ and enjoy it and see the beauty and the value in it so that's that's the the best part for me is to be able to help people and, and bring that joy of the faith back into their life and their mind and, and help them live it better. Yes, absolutely. So I heard you mention the domestic church and mm -hmm. the domestic church is something it's a term that I've heard a lot lately. What do you mean when you say the domestic church? The domestic church is such a beautiful phrase and I love it. But a lot of people think it is it is just this beautiful idea, vision, of of what we call the family, a nice pet term for the family, but it's actually a very rich, deep theological term because the the domestic church is an actual extension in theology of the Eucharistic gathering that we have every Sunday. So when we go to church every Sunday and we receive our Lord in the sacrifice of the Mass, going home, the family then becomes the domestic extension of what we participate in at the mass. So while we don't go and receive Holy Communion in the home, we can still make that spiritual communion. And by extension, we are still continuing to participate in that eternal sacrifice, but then we can extend it and share it within the world that we live in. And it starts in the home. And that's what the domestic church really is. That's really cool. It's like when he says at the end of mass, like, go forth. Yes. And so that's that's basically what he means is like now that you you can now bring it home, you can now share it outside. Yes. Yes. You go forth. But at the same what's what's even more beautiful and a little bit puzzling, too, is that, you know, you go to mass, you come for mass and you are sent forth into the world, into your family. But the whole um, ability of us to to receive Christ in the sacrifices of the, of the mass because of the priest has its roots in the family. I mean, the family is where the priests come from, mm -hmm. where we, we, our gift to, to the world is, is priesthood as well as, as so many other gifts, but it's kind of a, which came first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to think <laughs> about it. <laughs> so let's, let's talk a little bit more about family. Cause I don't mean to reduce the term. Like you said, it's mm -hmm. it family is like so deep and rich and which came first. I had read a line in the theology of the domestic church that said that the family is the way to holiness. Does that kind of expand on on what you had just said or what what does that mean? So I'm not sure how the, the book goes on to describe it, but I know that um, St. John Paul II has said many times in his writings and the church understands that there are two paths to the universal vocation to holiness. You know, every human being that exists, their primary first vocation is to holiness, to be in the, the, the beatific vision with God and to be close to him and united with him and reveal him to the rest of the world. So holiness is everyone's vocation. And there's two specific ways to get there, generally speaking. One is the family and the family life, and the other is the vocation to um the consecrated life, virginity, you know, that that singular focus upon God and giving one's entire self to God. So that is that is the what the church understands as one of the ways to holiness is through the family, because the family images 
the 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 trinitarian communion of persons mm. and so we are we are living that out in the world and we're proclaiming that truth to the world by being a family by you know husband and wife becoming a family and then being blessed with children or adopting children or you know being spiritual parents to others in their community so that is that dynamic which is so important and that's one of the ways that we are called to be united to 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 god and to christ in the world i absolutely <laughs> love that and i love that you touched on children because you're a parent i'm a parent like it is hard to be a parent nowadays <laughs> yes. like how do we even stand a chance with raising our kids catholic there is just there is so much noise out there how, how do we how do we even navigate that path to holiness that's for a, our kids that's a great question and when i die can i come back and answer? <laughs> I'm still working that out. Um, no, it's it's it is such a difficult challenge to be a parent in the the secular environment that we now have. But the first of all, I would say that that parents have so much influence over their children from right from the beginning that I don't even think parents realize how influential they are, for better or for worse. And so you are it, there's a there's a study that is very fascinating by Christian Smith out of the University of Notre Dame that talks about how crucial the influence of parents are on their children without even realizing it. I mean, you don't have to be intentional, you know, wake up in the morning and say, okay, how am I going to influence my kids? You do it just by living the life in the family. And that has both positive and negative consequences naturally. But, you know, talking about, you know, kind of protecting our, our our kids within the Catholic the Catholic faith from the outside noise. Some of that is the choices that we make, but primarily it is giving our children from their very beginning a sacramental worldview. So not just how to avoid the noise, but how to understand and and engage with the noise from a Catholic perspective. Ooh, so that, like that because sometimes you can't avoid the the noise. You can't avoid what you see on TV. You can't avoid what you read in books. You can't avoid what your friends are bringing into your kids' experience. But you can teach your kids how one to receive that information, process it through the lens of our faith and what is true and what is good and what is beautiful, and then become witnesses by teaching them the best ways to respond to that. And that is the best way that we can help our kids is to give them that 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 beautiful what I call a sacramental worldview where they see God in all things and then can translate all things through God and and bring it back into the world to to give that Catholic perspective to things. I love that, and I, I it's so funny that you know we don't actually realize how much of an influence we have on our kid until it's like something like maybe they overheard us say a bad word and then suddenly that's the only word that they're saying <laughs> or like I've noticed it with my own kids of like if I say something to my oldest son then like a few days later I'll hear him say it to my youngest son mm -hmm. and it's like it's this trickle down effect or uh, and I like what you said about we can't as much as we would love to put them in like a Catholic bubble like it's not super realistic but we can give them the tools mm -hmm. to see the world and sometimes the ugliness of the world. And like you said, like see it through a Catholic perspective. Kids are amazingly insightful and resilient. And so, you know, starting to, to encourage to say, okay, that's great. You know, ask them 
Why are they doing this? Get to know their perspective. Just see what's going on is a great, simple step to start encouraging kids to, or anybody to think beyond themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is probably one of the most Catholic things that you can, you can teach without even using the word Catholic or God Mm -hmm. or, or anything. It's that, it's that looking past yourself. Yeah. That's fantastic. Going back to my kids, like our family is is going through some deep stuff right now. And the the Catholic faith, though, is built on some really deep stuff, on some really heavy concepts that even many adults have trouble grasping. I know my kids are always like coming up with like, how do we stump mom questions <laughs> about the faith? So what are some ways that we can um, introduce the faith or reinforce what they're learning about the faith in a way that kids can understand. And when we get those like real stumper questions, how do we, how do we respond to questions we don't have the answers to? Those are great questions. Um, And it's, so I guess there's two parts to that. The first is I I would say sharing the faith with anybody. The best place to start is, is with what is fundamentally true. And that is the fact that God loves us that we are made in his image, we are chosen, we are loved just by existing. It doesn't depend on what we're doing for God to love us. It's that we exist and he loves us just because of that. So our faith is rooted in fundamental goodness and love. And that is our foundation. And so everything that is contrary to that foundation is where the problems start. And so it's our choices to choose something other than than that love or that goodness is where we start to go sideways. And so encouraging kids to understand and to remember that fundamental fact and then say, okay, this, whatever's going on, whatever's heavy, whatever's difficult, how does that fit in with what I know fundamentally about our faith? And, and kind of go from there. Now, depending on the stumpy kind of question, that can be a little bit more difficult. I'll, I'll give you one example. I was presenting at a conference in Hawaii. And the, 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 the topic that I, I developed and chose was authentic love in the Christian tradition. So I'm talking about human sexuality, the human person, love, marriage. You can see where people might start to have interesting questions about this. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and towards the end of the discussion, I had a woman raise her hand and asked the question that I hadn't received yet, but I was waiting for. She's like, so what does this mean for gay people and homosexuals? And I took a deep breath. I prayed really, really hard because I'm like, oh, dear Jesus, please don't let me say the wrong thing. Please don't let me say the wrong thing. You know, I gave my answer, continued on with the presentation, finished it. And after I was done, I had this woman... And like five or six other people come up to me afterwards. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, they're going to kill me now. I'm, <laughs> I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I said the wrong thing. She said, thank you. I That was the best response I had ever received on this on this question. And it turns out that her spouse, they were now divorced, her spouse, um, you know, had same has same sex attraction and you know part of their divorce was him finding his own path and so the way I answered it starting in that fundamental goodness of the human person and and things like that 
I, I gave her a way to retain her faith and, and hold her faith and explain her faith while also, also being able to, you know, be, be loving and respectful and inclusive of her husband, especially when they're trying to co-parent their child. Mm. So it's, it's, it's finding that balance and the dignity of all people without compromising the faith, which is a very difficult balance. And that's a hard thing to be able to talk to a kid about, let alone adults. So does that, does that help? It does. It does. It definitely does. And it kind of leads me into my next question about difficult situations like Mm -hmm. especially when we're parenting kids like your your kids the age ranges kind of run the gamut Mm -hmm. my kids are much more closer in age but as parents like our job is to respond to difficult situations we're supposed to make corrections and impose natural consequences how can we do that while still instilling values oh uh, again can I die and come back and answer that? Because I'm still, I'm still trying to figure We're that out. We're still in the trenches. It's still in the trenches. But, but that's a part of it is that you learn as you go. And so having a conversation with your spouse when you first get pregnant and talking about these, like, how do I deal with this? How do we, how do we handle a situation where there's bad behavior? How do we want to correct it? Having that, that conversation and that game plan together as spouses, I think goes a long way to helping instill the virtues that you want to instill in your children because you have that communication and collaboration that you are giving witness to and the child is 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 receiving from the witness of their parents, which is always good. Um, I think, you know, uh, approaching it actively, you know, to head off behavior, um, it's, again, it is, it is setting a standard and modeling that standard to the best of your ability. But also I think even more when things happen, we don't always have control over our own reactions. So we're learning as well. And the children are learning as well. So they're going to, they're going to make bad choices. They're going to make mistakes. But I think in our response or in the response that we give that we're not proud of, you know, recognizing our failings, admitting our failings, even to our children, asking their forgiveness, you're modeling the way that they should respond in their weakness so that you're not just focused on, okay, this is the behavior you should be doing at all times. This is the ideal. And here's the standards. Here's the ways we're going to go about instilling that. It's you're going to mess up. I mess up. Here's how we pick ourselves back up. Here's how we seek forgiveness. Here's how we you know, work towards doing better. And that itself is instilling the virtue the virtues of, of resilience and humility. And again, it, it reminds us that we are not our own saviors. And so it's okay to admit where we need that help, where we need reconciliation and to admit our wrongs and, and heal from those, which is good for our own sake, as well as our kids. And especially when our kids see us do it, they're like, oh, okay. So that's, that's huge because then you as a parent are more relatable to them. And by your example, God then becomes more relatable because God is not some distant authority figure because you are not a distant authority figure. You are, you are relational to them and you are accompanying them as much as allowing them to accompany you. And that's huge. Very huge. And it's, I love 
I love what you said about, you know, just having a conversation with your partner, because I feel like throughout the different stages of parenthood, like it's just it's an ever evolving. Like I was the perfect parent before I ever had kids. Like I had the <laughs> perfect plan. Like my kids were going to do this, that and the third. And then they came and they are they're totally different individuals that I almost have to parent completely differently just because of their personality. And my husband came from a completely different like we're all just mm -hmm. a group of people with our own personalities and our own strengths and weaknesses and communication is so key and prayer mm -hmm. about that community. Cause I keep going back every time I, my kids get under my nerves, especially like when we're like trying to drag this circus to church, <laughs> I'm like, yes. I'm like, okay, Mary, I know that Jesus probably broke his best pair of sandals on the way to temple. How did you, <laughs> how did you hand, like, did he get crumbs all over his best, whatever, before we went anywhere like give me strength <laughs> right oh yes i remember that i i remember that but now being older my my perspective ha has shifted some and i would say to my younger self or, or to you in those moments um i can imagine our blessed mother saying the sandals don't really matter because you're still getting where you need to go mm. and the crumbs don't matter because you're where you need to be and that's what's important. You are where you need to be. If it's not your best attire, if you're missing shoes, uh, you know, if you forgot to wash your hair this month. I mean, <laughs> it's that those are the things that are not counted towards your sanctification. Mm. It's the fact that you 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 brought yourself to God and put all of yourself at his feet and said Here's what I got. Do your best. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Please and thank you. Um, yeah. And it's kids. The great thing about kids and the scary thing about kids is that we're never going to get the kids that we want. We ha we always, every everybody plans out with their kids. And it's going to be great. It's going to be glorious. You never get what you want. But God gives you the children that you need. Absolutely. And that is, that is a... That is a beautiful blessing, but coming to terms with that, I think, is is a struggle for all of us parents, is recognizing what we really needed versus our own vision of ourselves and everything else and how just God's like, oh, poof, yeah. let me, let me. <laughs> yes, our kids just, re they reflect, like, all, like, my middle son, he has very big emotions. So helping him manage his very big emotions, because I always had very big emotions. Mm. I'm like, oh, I see it now. Like this is he is just a, a miniature version of me. <laughs> and this Aww. is what I needed as a kid. So that's just I I love that saying of like, yeah. yes, they are. They might not have been that perfect little aesthetic child that you see on Pinterest and Instagram, but they are exactly what you need at this very like God doesn't mess around. Yeah. He gave you this child for a reason. Absolutely. And that's the further gift. You talk about how do you how do you navigate the the blow ups and the bad behavior? Um, and, and then going back again to to teaching empathy in the kids, you know, the, the kids that were, were given when we start to see aspects or reflections of ourselves or our spouse or some some chimera of both our grandparents, you're like, I, that's like my great aunt Nelly over there. Where did that come, <laughs> did that come, did from? That come from? But you, you know, so that's the door to say, okay, I recognize that. 
So then how do I deal with that rather than the sound effects or the tantrum or the screaming or the writhing? That's not what's the root of the problem. It's it's that behavior, the root of the behavior that we recognize in ourselves or someone else. So that gives us the opportunity to stop for a second and say, oh, I recognize that. I know how I would deal with it. Let's see how they want to deal with it. And that allows us to be empathetic and mirror that and and help them even if they can't learn to reciprocate yet you're giving them that foundation to say this is this is what is to get them to feel safe so that then they can in turn pay that forward when they're ready we kind of talked about this already but when you're when you're in the younger years of parenting like i remember my my oldest son when he was an infant i had no idea what i was doing like nothing nothing's in the handbooks so you're just you're really just like we said in the trenches and sometimes it can be hard to to see the long game mm-hmm. of you know is is what i'm doing does it actually matter um so how can we how do we find the strength to play the long game in the early years that's a tough one And I think a lot of that relies on how we care for ourselves as parents and nurture our own faith. Because raising children is very much an act of faith because we don't know the effect that we're going to have until 20 or 30 years down the road, maybe 15 if you're lucky. But it's you do your best. Um, And if you work on things that I'll be careful how, how I say this the things that have long lasting ramifications for your memory so for example you, you take the kids on the vacation to the beach are they going to remember what they wore every time probably no. not no yeah. they're going to have a vague notion of warm air salty water dessert the beach And it's going to give them that feeling of happiness and joy, or if they hate the beach, like, but it's that it's a, it's a visceral, visceral sense of, of, of relating to something of, of belonging, of, of like, of dislike. That's, those are the memories that kind of stick. And so when you're in those moments, um, I think I find it helpful to think about, you know, how often do you do things that will give your child a feeling of security and happiness and joy? You know, how often do you hug your child? Do you pray with them? Do you, you know, give them a a bedtime routine where you're involved with them? Do you put your phone down and have, have times where there's direct eye contact and conversation, even if it's only for a couple minutes? Um, you know, how much interaction is there? You know, do you do something with your child that is special to them that they can look back on and remember? Um, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be a thing. It's just, were you there for them? You know, do can they look back and say, yep, mom and dad were there. We had some great times. You know, it wasn't all perfect, but they were always there. I could talk to them. And you start to see the fruits as they get older, as they start to make the decisions. And even if they don't always make the decisions that you would hope that they would, you you see 
in time how they incorporate the lessons they received from you and make it their own. And that is encouraging and hopeful because all you can do is give them that and then they have to make it their own. Um, I'll say one of the things that I, I never thought about raising my kids, but I'm starting to see now that they're older and the oldest two, you know, have conversations about dating. My oldest one has dated my, my, my second son. He's like, Nope, no thanks. <laughs> not ready for that at all ever. Um, but they're the way they think about a healthy relationship. We never, what we did our, my husband and I would talk to our kids about it once they're older, but there are some things that we never explicitly talked about, but they understand. And so when they see its lack in other relationships, they're like, that is sad because there's something missing. And so that's when you get to start to see the fruits, but you just, you have to, you don't have to, it's, it's, it's a choice, but doing the best that you can and praying and actively working on your own efforts to grow in virtue and faith and, and communication um, will bear good fruit. That's very true. And I kind of want to kind of want to build off of that because there's like the early years of parenting and then there's the later years of parenting. Although I don't think parenting ever really ends because I still need my mom and dad and yeah. I'm in my thirties. So when it, like at some point though, like we can talk about the faith, we can show them the faith, we can take them to church, have them do the sacraments. At some point, they ultimately have our children have the cho choice mm -hmm. whether or not to accept mm -hmm. what we've what we've taught them. And I know personally, I did walk away for a while before making the choice to come back to the Catholic faith. So for those older parents, not necessarily older parents, but for those with older children, mm -hmm. um. I guess it's kind of like an act of faith, but what would we say for for those with older children who may or may not be actively participating in their faith? What what kind of what kind of hope should they have? Is there anything that they can do? Oh, absolutely. Prayer always helps. Um absolutely. But the the beautiful thing about our faith is that it truly is universal. So even if we have teens um, adult children, um, if conversely, if we are young adults who, whose parents are falling away, I, you know, if we have a loved one who has not practicing or falling away, there's still points of commonality where you can see God at work in their life. And you can share that with your loved one without having to bring any of the Catholic trappings into it or, you know, invoke the name of Christ out loud or, you know, put a spotlight on their lack, you know, because if they're, if these loved ones, if they are standing up for what's right at work or supporting a friend in need, that is Christ in the world. And we know that. And we know that that is a consolation for us. And that's something that we can celebrate in our loved ones and say, that's awesome. I'm glad you're doing that. I love that. You know, talk more about that, support that, advocate for that, and then go home and pray and say, Lord, thank you that 
our, our, our children, our loved ones are still revealing you in the world, even though they may not know it. And, you know, may that continue to increase and eventually someday, you know, if it is your will, may they come back home and know who it is that they're, they're serving, but thank you for their service no matter what. Um, I can always start, start there. I love that. That is such a, a a great reframe of like, you you don't have to be saying, you don't have like every time you see them, you don't have to be shoving a Bible in their face. You can be just praising them for the good that they are doing. And like you said, going home and thanking God that they are, they are still um, revealing his goodness to the world, which is we could absolutely use more of that. <laughs> we We talked about this a little bit earlier about the impact that we have on our kids. And I know sometimes it's hard to resist the temptation to say, especially when they're acting out or they're displaying behaviors that are unbecoming. It's, it's hard to, to not say like, what's wrong with you? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Because more often than not, like you said, and we talked about they're they're a reflection of us. They're a reflection of like their environment of what they've seen, what they have been exposed to, especially for us parents. What are some ways that we can work on, self-regulation so that when our children reflect our emotions, they're doing so in a Christ-like way. Ooh. Again, <laughs> I was going to say, do we- <laughs> When's it, when I'm done and I come back, I'll let you know. Oh, goodness. We'll have a handbook. Right. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be great. Um, I once had a therapist tell me, do you understand? Because I had postpartum depression and he oh. he was like, he's like, do you know why there's so many parenting books? And I was like, I don't know why. And he goes, because everybody has a different way of doing it. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. So now we can add. Yes, to we that got our own, yes, our own yes, parenting book. Like, <laughs> it is. Um, the It's really difficult to work on your own conversion and healing while you are responsible for multiple other people's yes growth and healing um and as someone who has also suffered depression and anxiety and was in the thick of it when i was birthing and raising small children it sometimes a lot of the times um the, the self regulation is 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 a dream and it's it's sad and it's scary to to say that it is it is a harder battle because you are in it and your reaction times are slower. Um, so that's my recommendation and my my hope for everyone who's going through that is to say, if you can't head it off before the moment happens, review it right after. Mm-hmm. And think about if you can stop yourself in the moment, that's great. But if a moment has happened and as you start to come out of it, realize that you wanted to handle it differently or you could have done something differently, start that correction right then. Even if it's just with, you know what, mommy or daddy uh, reacted a little bit harshly. I'm sorry for that. Let's talk about, you know, what you did, why you did it, how we can do better next time. So again, both you and your child is learning how to be um, self-regulating in the moment together. 
because it's just it is a process it is a, a journey of continual conversion and sometimes there are seasons when it is just harder to do um, but it requires the ability of the person to admit that it's difficult and to at least want to work on getting better um, you know, so that that is crucial to say, I might have a problem or I recognize when I do this and I don't like it. Um, so recognition of whatever cycle that's not necessarily healthy or, or difficult is important to acknowledge and work on to the best of your ability. Um, but even further, especially if there's underlying issues like postpartum depression or anxiety or if you have other conditions that you brought into your to your marriage that come out a little bit more when you're raising children that's when you say you know maybe I need other help as well and there's no shame in that not at all it is it is you know you're again you are modeling to your child healthy ways of um, being your best self and going on that journey and making that progress so it's whether it's you know getting professional help or whether you know you start to notice yourself in a difficult situation with your child and you're like you know what mommy needs a timeout I'm going to go pray for two minutes we're going to come back and we're going to talk about this and deal with this I want you to stay right here or just saying mommy needs a timeout I'm going to go talk to daddy daddy please deal with this for five minutes until I can come back and you know bouncing off of your spouse I, me and my husband I love my husband so much for so many reasons, but we do a great job of when I can't handle anymore. He's like, boom, all right, I'm in it. I'll take care we of it. We do that too. We do a tag team. We're like, yes. it's your turn. Go. Yes. But, and, and then when on his days when he's just, he can't handle it, that's when I jump in. And so we're being partners and supporting each other and helping each other, you know, self-regulate when we may not necessarily be able to, to the degree that we want. And our kids see that too. Um, and even if they try to manipulate it, they're like, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. Nice try. But again, it's so it's it's just being honest and and humble and and willing to to work through, not expect perfection from the outset. I think that's the hardest part is is like you just you want so badly to just be this perfect parent, this perfect person. And for perfectionists or just people you know we have this this ideal in our head of like what a perfect parent is mm -hmm. and like anything short of that means that we failed when it's it's not all or nothing it's about communicating and working as a team with your spouse um even with the kids mm -hmm. because like we said each each child is different with their own set of needs and own ways of of coping with it and our job as a parent is to set an example it doesn't have to be a perfect example but when it's a you know less than perfect example we need to set the stage and say hey look i'm sorry this is not how i wanted to handle the situation can we work together to do better next time mm -hmm. and i love that and and as somebody who sought out lots of professional help i can tell you there is absolutely no shame in in medication and therapy and it you know doctors and nurses are the hands and feet of Jesus, just like we are. Mm -hmm. So if you are able to recognize that you need help, then absolutely get it. Yep, absolutely. So let's talk about Advent now, because this is the, the start of Advent. And as much as it is 
a time of like waiting, like we're like going back to parenthood, it's like your third, your third trimester and you're like anxiously waiting <laughs> for this baby to come. Um, and it can get very overwhelming very, very quickly and very busy. So what are some ways that if we wanted to restart, refresh, reframe our faith this season, and maybe the example that we're setting for our children, if we've gotten off that path for holiness this year? Oh, this is great. I did not grow up Catholic. So I was an adult before I learned that Christmas was an entire season (laughs) that started with Christmas, that didn't end with Christmas Day. And I cannot tell you what a revelation of awesomeness. <laughs> so I'm like, wait, we get to party. We just keep going and going and going for an entire season, which is fantastic. And so one of the things that I have learned and continue to learn and, and meditate on is that the Advent season is does not need to be as busy as we make it because we have so much time after the nativity of our Lord to celebrate and to do all the fun things. And so I think scaling back our preparations, at least the ones that we do to our house on the outside, on the inside, the cookie baking, I'm not telling people not to make Christmas cookies and and do all that. I'm just saying, you know, kind of scale back a little bit um, and focus more on the interior journey of Advent because that is that is the 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 beauty of that season you know we think about Mary and Joseph their advent you could look at it in, in any number of ways they had the one day's journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem but then they had the nine month journey with the blessed mother's pregnancy but even more so, we, we have we have the entirety of salvation history from the Proto-Evangelium of, at the, in a sense, that's an advent. And so we, it's good to think about the season that we're in and where we are in that journey and how we are preparing ourselves to receive Jesus. Um, so it's, you know, that can be the focus um, and adjusting our seasonal celebrations and activities and plans to reflect that without sacrificing the joy of Christmas because we have that entire season of, uh, to follow where we can we can really really celebrate and have the the presents and the parties and the cookies and the punch and whatever beautiful Christmas traditions um, that we don't necessarily need to take up all of Advent to prepare for. I love that. And my my big thing the last two years was like, I'm just doing less. I'm just going to do less. And I felt like COVID really kind of gave us a chance to slow down because I feel like you said, I feel like we just unnecessarily busy ourselves during the like, you don't have to do the If you want to do the cookies, awesome. But if you legitimately don't have time or the energy to do the cards and the cookies and all the parties, there's no rule that says you have to. Yeah. Yep. And it's 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 okay to to do less of those things and spend more time sitting and offering a prayer or reading a, a story to your kids about the nativity or asking questions about what they imagine the, the manger scene is like or setting setting up the the their crèche in a way 
that, you know, our family started doing this a couple of years back. You set up the creche and the wise men are like in a whole nother part of the house. <laughs> and all throughout Advent and even into the Christmas season, you know, the, the, the wise men are traveling all around the house, kind of like they actually did. So you you engage more in that understanding of what this, the, the reality of the season is. So you're, you're participating more from your head and your heart and experiencing it more. And I think that opens up, that helps us open up um, to bring Christ more present into our homes rather than the, the presence that we give and the food that we make, which are important and they have value. But if they become the focus, then you know, it's almost like we're we're saying, okay, this stuff that we're giving, we're dumping in the major, and that's what we're going to, you know. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely, and I like that idea of moving the wise men. Oh gosh, it's so much fun, <laughs> and the kids will do it too, and they get all into it, like, okay, we're gonna put him here and this guy here, and the donkey's gonna be way down here. <laughs> I'm gonna try that this year. M- Melchior lost his donkey. Where did it go? <laughs> Why is there a sheep over here? Exactly. Like, they're just, everybody's lost. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Melissa, it has been so good talking to you. Um, and I love that all these resources are available through the diocese. Can you, can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, if there, the, is there anywhere that families can go to kind of get any more resources about how they can strengthen their faith um, through the diocese? Through the diocese, um, we are working on building up our internal diocese resources. I, I think right now the best thing that we can offer is getting more involved with your parish community and seeing who's there to, to partner with, to work with. And if there's an idea or a desire for something that you want to bring into your parish to grow, then you call me and I can help make it happen because you know, there are a lot of great resources outside of the diocese that a lot of organizations um, offer, you know, between the Augustine Institute, between, um, you know, Father Mike Schmitz, uh, you know, everybody has has a program or, or a thing that you can plug in. And those are great. And we can't compete with that. But what our diocese can do is help bring people together and build that community um, and help find the outside resources that already exist to make that community experience more lively um, and joyous and meaningful in the experience of your everyday life, whether you're Catholic or you're not Catholic. There's lots of options out there. Yes. I, I love that we need a community and especially as parents and bringing the domestic church kind of like making it vibrant. We need that village. Yes. And there's there's actually there is a group down in the Lancaster area who it's it's a number of families who've come together and they've created a little community. It's called Catholic Family Connection of Lancaster. And it's a beautiful, simple model. We just families get together. They'll do a, a family holy hour. They do potlucks. They do things together. And it's a great model that is easily adaptable to other parishes and, and, and communities, you know, if different parishes went together and, and create this in other areas of the diocese, that is a, a great model that is happening down in Lancaster that can easily, so easily be transferred uh, to other places in the diocese. So that's 
I've gotten to, to hang out with some of those families and it's just, it's a great, great community full of faith and support and a whole lot of screaming kids, which is just fantastic. I'm like, yes, thank yes, you. Yes, controlled thank chaos. You. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, Melissa, that, that sounds awesome. And I'm so grateful that we got to talk today and discuss, you know, making the domestic church like really building it up and, and how we can kind of all do this together. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with oh, me today. Thank you for inviting me. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash DAC and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again. And we'll see you at church on Sunday.